Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Racetrack. I am Molly Joe Rosen alongside some amazing friends on the Believe Network, the number one podcast platform for professionals. Last week, I started off the Recapping Racing's Basics show by talking a bit about the Breeders' Cup, the sport's end-of-season championships. Like the Super Bowl, it changes location year to year, and this time we're headed to Keeneland Racecourse in Lexington, Kentucky on November 6 and 7. What began in 1984 with seven races worth $10 million, or the equivalent of about $25 million today, is now 14 races worth a whopping $31 million. This makes Championship Saturday among, if not the, richest single day in sports in North America. Given that we're a week away from the last big weekend of prep races for it, I figure now is a really good time to delve a little deeper into what makes the Breeders' Cup so darn cool. But before we get rolling on the show, no matter how you found us, and I am certainly glad you did, thank you in advance for liking and subscribing and commenting and sharing and whatever else it is you can do from whatever podcast platform you found us on. Plus, you can join the conversation and tell us what you want to know and who you want to hear from at beyondtheracetrack.com. Now, let's load into the gate and get to talking ponies. The NFL is back, and you can take full advantage by getting in on the action with hundreds of odds and futures and prop bets with our friends at betonline.ag. Let's talk NFL real quick. The prop bets on offer are some of the best things I have ever seen. Personally, I am all about the will a coach be fined for not wearing a mask prop bet and taking the over on how many interceptions Tom Brady will throw this season. You know, speaking of Tom, fun fact, he is a big horse racing fan, and I had the pleasure of riding an elevator with just him and my then radio producer at the Kentucky Derby a few years back. As we descended the six floors from the mansion to the ground level, I asked who he liked that day. Spoiler, it was not the Derby winner. And he said his wife and kids were sorry to be missing the big day that year. He said the wife like he was not talking about one of the world's most famous supermodels. It was one of those fantastic moments where it sounds totally normal in the moment, but hits you as really funny on like a five-minute delay. Anyways, head on over to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's a 50% match on sports and a 100% match on the casino, which never closes, and you can even make your deposits in Bitcoin. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Remember to wager responsibly. So let's talk Breeders' Cup. The two-day event starts with what we now lovingly call Future Stars Friday. Five races for the two-year-olds who the connections all hope will be the horses we fans are talking about for years to come. Then there's Championship Saturday, over $22 million in purses for nine races, including what was America's richest race for many years, the now $6 million Breeders' Cup Classic. 
Now, this is probably a really good time to take a quick detour and explain that the monetary tag you see assigned to a race, be it the Derby or a Breeders' Cup race or the 5th at Belmont on a Sunday, isn't actually what the winning connections take home. Nope, it couldn't be that easy. Basically, 60% of the listed purse goes to the winner, then the remaining 40% is doled out proportionally. For some races, that's to 5th place, others all the way to 8th. Of that 60% winner share, 10% goes to the jockey, who has to pay his agent and valet from it, 10% goes to the trainer, there are fees then that the track takes, and then the balance of what is left in each owner's quote-unquote bank account with the track can then be withdrawn. So for a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic, the owners get a $3.6 million gross payday that nets to about $2.5 million. Not bad for a race that runs in two minutes and two seconds. So how does the process work? Sort of like the Triple Crown, horses are nominated, though with the Breeders' Cup, it's when they're young or you can supplement before entries are drawn for the big day each year. One of the coolest things about that is Wild Again, the very first classic winner, a horse I got to work with at Three Chimneys, was a supplemental runner. His connections took a shot and ponied up, I think it was like 200 k and that was in 1984 dollars, and they were richly rewarded. For the Breeders' Cup nominating process, as the name suggests, it's in part meant to celebrate the breeders. Therefore, stallions are nominated annually, and then breeders have the opportunity to pay a super reasonable $400 before October 15th of the year the foal is born, or $1,500 into the yearling year in order to be eligible, and that's for the duration of a horse's racing career. There is also the chance to nominate once the horse is of racing age, two years old and above, or, as I said, you can supplement pre-race. Amazingly, Breeders' Cup nominated foals average seven times the price of non-nominated foals at public auction in North America. The nomination fee for a U.S.-based stallion is equal to the stud's advertised breeding fee. Once the stallion is nominated and begins covering mares, all of his progeny from that breeding season are then eligible to be nominated the year they are born. Remember that gestation is 11 months, meaning it's a three and a half year ordeal from mating to hopefully being in the starting gate for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Stallions that stand outside of North America can participate too. International stallions standing in the Northern Hemisphere pay 50% and those in the Southern Hemisphere pay 25% of their stud fee. Once an international stallion is nominated for a breeding season, all of those foals that are born the following year receive free nominations to the Breeders' Cup. So when we say end-of-season championships, does that mean it's for American-based horses only? Nope. One of the neatest things about the Breeders' Cup is that it attracts competition from around the globe. Horses from six continents and over 16 countries have competed. Last year, of the 188 horses pre-entered, 47 of them were from overseas. But like we asked with the Derby, how do horses get in the gate? There's always been sort of the unofficial road to the big dance where winners from major graded stakes around the country and the world showed they belonged on the game's biggest stage. A few years ago, that was codified into what is now called the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series, or also known as the Win and You're In program. 
The Challenge Series means winning connections throughout the year earn an automatic paid entry into the Breeders' Cup World Championships in their respective division, along with perks like air travel for the horse. In 2019, the Breeders' Cup crowned 86 Challenge Series winners in 11 different countries ahead of the 14 races on Championship Weekend. Do the winning connections of Breeders' Cup races get anything besides money? One of the best, okay, 14 of the best shots a racing photographer will get all year is of the jockey tossing petals from the winning flower garland into the air. No jock does this better than Mike Smith, by the way. The golden-hued, purple-bordered garland with the event logo and the race name is comprised of the rare combination of beauty asters, golden asters, crimmins, and the Catalia orchid, which have been grown exclusively for the Breeders' Cup since 1988. Then there is the trophy. Each is an authentic bronze reproduction of the original Tory horse that was created in Florence, Italy by Giovanni di Bologna in the late 1580s. Known as the Edinburgh horse now, the mold was acquired by Sir James Erskine of Tory from the Villa Mattel in Rome in around 1803. He bequeathed it to the University of Edinburgh with the rest of his collection of old master paintings and bronzes, and it came into the possession of the University of Edinburgh in 1836. The Breeders' Cup trophy was cast from the original and was directly supervised and approved by the University of Edinburgh for the exclusive use of Breeders' Cup Limited. The largest version of the trophy is permanently owned by the Breeders' Cup and is displayed at the official host track each year. Smaller versions are given to the winning connections and I can say from seeing them in offices and dens and even kitchens over the years, they are very proudly displayed. Is the event always held at the same track? Nope. The host site rotates yearly. For the last 15 years, we've gotten pretty used to going to and from pretty much the same set of tracks, namely Santa Anita or Del Mar in SoCal and Churchill Downs or Keeneland in Kentucky, but the event has been hosted by Belmont in New York, Monmouth in New Jersey, Lone Star in Texas, Arlington, Illinois, Gulfstream in Florida, and even went international in 1996 to Woodbine in Toronto. The now defunct Hollywood Park was home to three editions, including the very first one. There's been a lot of chatter over the years about going back to an East Coast track, and I get the argument, but like 99% of the college bowl games being played in the South, when you're looking at winter months, it's hard to put an event that is by nature exclusively outdoors in the potential path of bad weather. Since Breeders' Cup is always the first weekend in November, frankly, even Kentucky is a risky choice. Since horses are eligible for the duration of their racing career, has any horse won multiple years? Yes! 21 horses have been repeat winners. Not always in the same division, though. Several, like Beholder, won a juvenile race, then came back to win as an older horse. In her case, that was the 2012 juvenile fillies, and then the 2013 and 2016 distaffs. Some, like Ouija Board, won, lost, then won again. In her case, the filly and mare turf in 2004, 2005, 2006. And some, like the great Goldakova, one consecutive years. For her, that was the 08, 09, and 2010 mile. 
Other horses on this list of repeat winners include one of the most legendary training jobs in De Haas, plus the likes of Wise Dan and Zenyatta and Tisnow, who won his second classic in 2001, capping off the first major sporting event to return to New York after the Twin Towers fell. And if you haven't heard that particular call by Tom Durkin, you need to immediately YouTube it after listening to this show. Betting-wise, what should we expect to happen? Well, favorites have won 107 of 346 Breeders' Cup races that have been run, which is like a 31% clip. The worst finish by a favorite was the 2003 Juvenile at Santa Anita when Cuvi finished 12th by like 58 lengths at the odds of 3-2. to two. There have been 65 odds-on favorites with 28 of them winning. And there have been 45 horses to go off at odds of 100 to 1 or greater, but only Arkong, winner of the 93 Classic at 133 to 1, has finished in the money. One of my favorite stats, as you all know, is win margin. No surprise that the smallest margin is a nose, and that's been done a whole bunch of times. But the largest margin of victory? 13 and a half lengths by inside information in the 95 distaff. Second behind her is Street Sense's juvenile win at 10 lengths, which, if you fast forward six months from that, was the beginning of the Juvie Derby curse ending. Since the event is meant to celebrate the breeding end of the business as much as the racing side, it's really cool to note that three Breeders' Cup winners have gone on to produce winners themselves. 93 Distaff winner Hollywood Wildcat produced 2,000 mile winner Warchant, and 2010 Philly and Mare Turf winner Shared Account produced 2019 Juvenile Phillies winner Sharing. And one of the best family lines and one of the coolest storylines in all of Breeders' Cup history is that 98 Distaff winner Personal Ensign produced 95 Juvenile Phillies champ My Flag who then produced 2002's juvenile filly winner, Stormflag Flying. And because the Breeders' Cup media team is unbelievably awesome, we also know that several mares have produced multiple winners. Hasili popped out both Banks Hill and Intercontinental. Yes, I have to say it the way Tom Durkin always said it. Leslie's Lady produced both Beholder and Mendelssohn, Breeders' Cup winners, and she also produced the hottest sire on the planet right now, but not a Breeders' Cup winner himself, in Into Mischief. Also, Primal Force produced Awesome Again and Macho Uno. Sweet Life gave us both Sweet Catamine and Life is Sweet, and Win Approval gave us Miesk's Approval and World Approval. Since I'm totally nerding out on fun facts, here's a couple other things you can impress your friends with. The oldest horse to win a Breeders' Cup race was nine-year-old Kaleidoscopio, also really fun to say, in the 2012 marathon. And the youngest trainer to win a race was Joseph O'Brien at 26 years old with 2019 Philly and Mare Turf heroine Iridessa. Joe also holds the rare distinction, and I believe there's only two folks who can say this, of having won a Breeders' Cup race as both jockey and trainer. In young Mr. O'Brien's case, he was 18 when St. Nicholas Abbey took the 2011 turf. As we get into the gallop out portion of today's show, much appreciation as always to my tiny production crew and the good folks at the Believe Network for the chance to share this show with y'all. Remember to like and comment and subscribe and share and whatever else you can do from whichever platform you're listening on. 
If there's something about horse racing you want to know more about, drop us a note at ask at beyondtheracetrack.com or any of our socials, all of which can be found on beyondtheracetrack.com. I am Molly Jo Rosen, and I will see you back here next week as we once again go Beyond the Racetrack. This is going to be a wild ride. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.